for a car. Hang on, I'll do that again. I've got too much. I've got too much water. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Coronavirus NZ, a daily stuff podcast. Welcome to our new feature. What's that sound? You mean that strangled noise just before the theme music? So do I need to find a special jingle for this new slot? Or is it going to fizzle out after one episode? Mm, Yeah, wouldn't worry about the jingle. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Tuesday the 5th of May. I'm Adam Dudding with a barking dog. And I'm Eugene Bingham. As ever, we're here with the daily headlines, some of the more unusual things about lockdown life, before we then slow it down and take a look at one particular topic. And as you may have deduced from that uh, sound at the top of the show, we've got something pretty special today, because it's about now, heading towards six weeks lockdown, that we all need a little treat, right? For instance, I'm sick of being taunted by my own phone, you know, getting diary reminders of events I've forgotten to delete from my diary. For me on Saturday, it was the Rotorua Marathon, which I'd entered and was ready to run before the coronavirus came along. Bugger. So we're all ready to go on Saturday? Oh, fair to say I've had five weeks of uh, tapering. I know what you mean about lockdown fatigue. Countries around the world are struggling with it. Even in Italy, which has the second highest COVID-19 death toll, they're starting to relax things, but... Just like in New Zealand, whenever there are new rules, there's new confusion. So, the Italian government has just recently allowed people to visit what they call congiunti. It's a word that broadly means relatives or personal connections. So, people started catching up with friends they hadn't seen for months. But it turns out that's not quite what the government meant. So, they had to clarify that by congiunti, they only meant, quote, spouses, partners in civil unions, and people with affectionate connection. Not regular, non-bonking friends. I wonder what the deal is for friends with benefits. Right, later on in the show, Hilary Barry. Yes, that was her at the top of the show, and you'll have to stick around if you want to know what that was all about. Anyway, we speak to the TVNZ presenter about her role in Formal Friday. That's the social media hit of lockdown, where people would dump the track pants and grubby t-shirts and dress up in fancy outfits for a day. She also talks about the role she decided to take on during this time of crisis. But first... What's happened today? For the second day in a row, Ashley Broomfield told the country there were no new cases. In fact, the total number of cases went back by one because a previous probable case was deemed not to be COVID-19 after all. All lockdown exemption applications made on the grounds of compassion are being reviewed after a man went to court to win the right to visit his dying father. Thanks to the court decision, the man was the only exemption granted on compassionate grounds. But there have been 24 similar applications that failed, so now they're all to be reviewed. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern joined the Australian National Cabinet meeting, where the top of the agenda was the idea of a trans-Tasman bubble. But she warned that wasn't something that would come about in a hurry. Our new clean-shaven, must be said, Police Commissioner Andrew Costa, he's busted into print. He's written an opinion piece which has been published on Stuff. deals with the vexed question at the checkpoints that popped up in remote communities. It's a question that police have copped flack over and he wanted to go on the record to explain some of the thinking behind the police stance. Remember those checkpoints started popping up really, really early on. In fact, I think it was even before lockdown. They were a way for Māori communities to protect themselves against the encroachment of the virus. Now look, 
Any reading of history of the 1918 flu epidemic will tell you that it was devastating for many Māori communities and that the Māori death rate per capita was seven times higher than for Pākehā. So iwi in the central, east and north of the North Island headed out to the roads to set up these checkpoints. So what Costa says in this piece is, look, this was something, and I quote, police actively discouraged. But then they started talking to the groups concerned. And with minor exceptions, says Costa, police were satisfied that the actions being taken were exactly in line with what the government was trying to achieve, which is stop the spread of the virus. And so the police decided to let them continue. He wrote, whilst we can bring many rational and legal arguments to this situation, the action in these communities was driven by their strongly perceived and likely actual vulnerability, which defined the context in which we were policing. And he points out that policing involves the art, rather than the science, of discretion. And look, he says, we're open to criticism, but these are unprecedented times. He gave some numbers too, that at its peak there were 30 to 50 iwi checkpoints around the country. Since the move to level 3, that number is fewer than 10. And Costa says they won't tolerate any new ones. And they'll all be gone under level 2 when travel restrictions are finally eased. Okay, this was certainly a tricky area, and it obviously wound a lot of people up on all sides of the debate. But I've got to say, I have some respect for Andrew Costa for coming out and explaining the police position, and even admitting, yeah, maybe we didn't get it right all the time. Still, I don't know if I can ever forgive him for undermining the bed-wearing community. Yo, Jane, I have an update on our investigation. The inelegantly named Wooba. Woba. Woba, sorry. Where's our Bluetooth app? So here's what I did. I typed the words contact tracing into the app store on my iPhone. And what do you know? There's some sort of app there called contact tracing. You sign up with a password and you can share it with your friends. And it's um, it's got a nice logo, which looks like the symbol for a men's toilet with lots of lines coming out of them, pointing to other much smaller little toilet men. Wow. Sounds intriguing. Not only you can share it, but you can turn on the location tracking. I guess with this in our pockets, we'll have COVID-19 on the run. So can I just check, is this New Zealand's Bluetooth app, right? An an official one endorsed by the health ministry or the government? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. It just says says contact tracing. And did I I tell you about the logo? Do you think I should delete it now? Yeah, you probably should. It seems like we still don't have a New Zealand tracing app yet. Woba continues. Email inbox. I looked in the virus pod at stuff.co.nz inbox and there are some new emails there. William Blakemore writes, love the podcast. During lockdown, I've ended up cooking every night for my family as it's the best time to listen in. Anyway, William has a suggestion for another investigation after the storming success of WTF. And he's obviously onto Wober as well. William says, the frozen food aisles of our local Masterton supermarkets are constantly empty of our favourite boxes of pre-crumbed frozen fish. WTF. Obviously, where's the fish? Is this because everyone has gone fish crazy during lockdown, or is it a supply issue? Hope you have time to investigate. William, we'll see what we can do. Plague Playlist. There's a guy called Randy Rainbow who specialises in really quite sophisticated parody songs and videos. There's there's usually a bit of a Broadway vibe to the song choice, and over the past year, his main target has been Donald Trump. He he isn't a fan of the president. Anyway, this particular number for the play- playlist came out about 
10 days ago, and I wanted to play it now before it started to feel like ancient history. Essentially, it's a response to Donald Trump's musings about the therapeutic potential of injecting disinfectant or somehow getting UV lights inside people's bodies. Just to be clear, the verdict is in on this one. Injecting bleach is a bad idea with capital letters, but it doesn't hurt to reinforce that message with a little bit of Mary Poppins as reinterpreted by Randy Rainbow. When viral symptoms underlie, there are home remedies to try. You find the one that works and snap, you're safe. And every product neath your sink might be a medicine to drink. No need for tests, the president suggests. Right, and then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that? Uh, by injection. Add a spoonful of Clorox makes your temperature go down. Your temperature go down. Temperature go down. Can you even get Clorox in New Zealand? I'm more of a Janola guy myself. Either way, Eugene, just don't do it. It's the latest COVID craze. So, Yojing. <laughs> Where's your tiara? What? Your tiara. I've got my best t-shirt on. I'm even wearing pants. We have to make an effort for this next guest. Of course. though, And I see that you've even brushed your hair at him. But yeah, our guest today is Mrs. Formal Friday. And the sharpest dresser you'll ever see on Seven Sharp It's the one and only Hilary Barry. Look, she's been there fronting coverage of some of our nation's darkest moments, it has to be said. Her work on the Christchurch earthquakes, for instance, is just unforgettable. And she's been there front and centre during the COVID-19 coverage too. But the main reason we wanted to get her on today is Formal Friday, because sure, it was a bit of fun on social media, but it seemed to speak to something else. What, the fact that we should all own a tiara? No, it was the way that we've endured this lockdown life. We've really needed something to cheer us up and pull us along, and Formal Friday's kind of done that. So, Hilary Barry, welcome to the show. Hello, gentlemen. Lovely to talk to you. Yes, lovely to have you here. Look, just can we just start at the sort of basics? Can you tell us what Formal Friday is, how it came about? Well, I was tagged on a post by um, a couple of mates on Twitter who were trying to get Formal Friday off the ground here during lockdown. And it just seemed like a really good idea to me. So I kind of jumped on board. And I guess because I've got quite a few followers, it gained momentum from there. Then we later found out that um, Jimmy Kimmel's wife had also started this Formal Friday idea um, almost at the same time. And so it ended up actually being almost a worldwide sort of thing. But we really, really embraced it in New Zealand, I think, like nowhere else around the world, which was kind of lovely. And as you said in your intro, there was something a little bit deeper to it than actually just putting on a posh frock and slapping on some lippy. What do you think it was? What do you think? I was trying to sort of articulate what was particularly special about it. I couldn't quite get there, but you're much better at this than me. To begin with, I think it was almost just something to do. Mm. We had long hours to fill and it was actually just something to do that was a bit of a laugh. And then as the weeks went on, it kind of, there was a just a community of people kind of celebrating each other and everybody was so kind to one another. And, you know, so I kind of ran out of outfits and was dredging up the uh, outfit that my mum made me for my 21st. And then I tried to squeeze into my ball gown, my seventh form ball gown. 
So people kind of had lots and lots of fun with it. I mean, there was one guy who was absolutely amazing and every week he would do something phenomenal, but he'd always kind of dress up super well on the top half and then have shorts on and be in a lilo in his pool or something like that or be driving a tractor. And gumboots, I think. Yeah, and gumboots. And so it just became a really fun thing. And it, as I say, it kind of developed into a bit more because I think we needed some things to have a giggle at. I mean, nobody was really laughing at anything. There was so much to get depressed over. But it just gave people a bit of a chuckle. You mentioned that international attention and the Jimmy Kimmel connection. You even got a shout out from him and it popped up in The Guardian too. It, was, it went worldwide. Yeah, it was kind of funny. <laughs> it got me a lot of street cred with my kids for about 24 hours and then they all moved on. One other question. Why have you kept all these dresses? Well, in my line of work, I do do quite a bit of emceeing. Fair and point. lots of people won't realise realize that. They'll sort of think, oh my gosh, what, <laughs> you know, what sort of wardrobe is she running there? So I do have gowns that over the last 20 years I've kind of collected because they don't... Oh, Talking to a couple of blokes about this, this is a bit weird. But as, as all girls know, um, ball gowns don't go out of fashion. You know, a long frock with sequins on it is kind of just a long frock with sequins on it. So I have this collection of ball gowns that I've uh, had for, you know, built up over the last 20 years of different MC things and different award ceremonies. And they just sit there and they very, you know, occasionally get an outing if I'm emceeing something, but they just collect dust most of the time. That's a convincing explanation for the dresses, but why, why do you own a tiara? Oh, well, for the last royal, for Harry and Meghan's royal wedding, I ordered that off eBay to watch the royal wedding, to get up in the middle of the night with a couple of friends over a bottle of bubbles and, you know, watch the wedding and get slightly tiddled in front of it. And feel royal. It's really, you know, it's that. That's all. But I, it's not the only tiara I own. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got two tiaras, and they're so cheap and nasty. The one I wore during the lockdown was my more expensive one. That was seven ninety nine. Oh, very good. Um, but the other one I really did just get from the two dollar shop, and it, so that it. was two dollars. But it's, it's not very good. Right, so even if we weren't watching you on telly every day, we have a, a, a real timeline of your lockdown from your tweets, and I actually got quite nostalgic as I, as I sort of scooted back through these from mid-March. I mean, can you believe there was a time when it seemed possible that people would get to see the Book of Mormon? That was March the 17th you were tweeting about that. And then you had an early potential brush with COVID-19 when you lost your co-host to self-isolation on March the 18th. It all turned out fine in the end, but was that scary for a bit? It Look, it wasn't because I was pretty confident that he wasn't at risk. He went into self-isolation because he had a brush with someone who was being tested for COVID-19 but was then found not to have had COVID-19. So it was actually even one more removed than most people would go into self-isolation for. But the bosses at TVNZ just thought it was prudent to have him away from the building for a couple of weeks. So I wasn't scared, but I think there was a different kind of feeling when things started to unravel in New Zealand and we first went into lockdown. It really was scary. And Mm -hmm. I, I think we all felt that incredible unease in a way that five, six weeks later... We don't feel as much, given that we've had the lockdown and, we, and we've been dealing with it relatively well. 
But in those first few days and when we went into lockdown, like everyone else, I I did feel really anxious and I I just sort of felt like I had butterflies in my stomach all the time. I was just nervous. It was yeah. just the fear of the unknown, really. Not sleeping, all those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. And then so on March 21st, there are two different tweets. One, you're talking about grounding your mum. And tell me, what date was that again? March the 21st. Oh, my goodness. So she's been locked up for a long time because she's still in isolation. I think that age group is really, really feeling it now. They're missing each other. And as much as we've embraced video calling and there was a big flourish around the new technology and and embracing that, you know, that face-to-face interaction is what everybody's missing, particularly that older generation. Yeah. We – how – our generation, we kind of had that pivot both ways, didn't we? Because I remember that Saturday, I think it was the March 21st, and in almost in simultaneous conversations, I had to ring mum and say, right, I didn't ground her because I'm a bit scared of doing that, but you know, you have to stay <laughs> home. And at the same time, convince my teenager that he couldn't go to a party. So yeah. we were kind of having to be the, the parents to both generations, as it were. Yeah, and as, as these levels come tantalisingly close to coming down, it's hard again for keeping both sets, both the teenagers and the older ones, being careful because they're just rearing to go. Mm. Two last important moments from your Twitter timeline I need to ask you about. How did Mr B's haircut go? It's best seen from the front. <laughs> <laughs> he is an incredibly patient man. Um, claims to be grateful despite my efforts, and we'll be straight down to the barber when we go to level two. Um, I'm just thinking, as seen from the front, that's in, in this Zoom age, that's completely fine. So he's a teacher, right? So he's mostly in Zoom meetings. He just needs to hold his head really straight, and the kids will never know, yeah? So that's fine. What abomination happened at the back? Well, I got out some clippers that I hadn't realised because I hadn't used them for the last 15 years. They would be blunt as hell and wouldn't actually do a very good job. So I had to kind of um, shorten it by cut with scissors, kitchen scissors. And it's just very hard to get a close cut with kitchen scissors. (laughs) It's just... It's it's just a bit long. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> I just want I didn't want to cut him, so he has the the makings of a really really good mullet. Lovely, yeah. Human hair is is a lot tougher to cut through than chives, I find. Um, yes, it is. Second important question: that tent in your garden in one of your formal Friday photos. Did you actually sleep in it? No, I didn't. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I, that will come as no surprise to anybody. I did spend an afternoon there. I read. I had a cup of tea. But the minute it got cold, I uh, I was out of there. Fair enough, fair enough. And the dress was a bit tight too. The dress was a bit tight. And the tiara, you've got to, you've got to look after those $7 tiaras. Yeah, that's very, very true. Mm. Hey, what's it been like making a TV show with social distancing? You and your colleagues at, at Seven Sharp have been, you know, trooping on through and you're not broadcasting from your bedroom doing a podcast like a couple of idiots. You're actually having to do proper broadcasting. So. Has yeah. it been weird still driving to, the, to work and, and, and trying to get the show out? It's been weird. It's been a bit eerie in places because we go into the building and nobody nobody else is there. So just to give you an overview, actually, TVNZ split into teams. Yeah. And Jeremy and I are effectively in our own team. So we're on a floor that is unoccupied by the marketing and sales team. So he has a room and I have a room. 
and we drive in and we go to our rooms and we kind of get ready and prep the show and then we spend some time together probably five or six metres apart up on that fourth floor level and then we go down to the studio and we have a special hallway that we access to get into the studio and out of the studio but we're not mixing with the rest of our team so it's quite lonely yeah. and a bit weird and it's as much as it's a novelty getting to leave the house and going to the office it's not the same lovely experience that you normally have yeah yakking to your workmates and having that camaraderie that's what i miss the most i think mm. yeah because i mean zoom meetings and other videos calls can only go so far can't they that's right yeah and you don't you don't have those long moments of just chewing the fat when you're on a Zoom call mm. because you're self-conscious of the video being on and the microphone being on and all those sorts of things. It's just a bit unnatural. What happens with you and Jeremy's hair and makeup? So we do have a makeup artist who travels from her bubble um, and come and comes and does our hair and makeup and then returns to her bubble. Right. So she only makes up Jeremy and I. And that's all kosher because, as you know, broadcasters and media are essential services. Yeah. Hey, journalists have caught some flack during this time. You know, Adam and I have been stuck in our bedrooms, but there have been crews out on the road all over the country, people in the press gallery working hard. How do you reckon our profession has stood up? Well, I can only speak for our show, and we've been really careful about making sure that if a reporter is going out to do a story, that they don't drive any further than, say, an hour out of town, hour and a half out of town. But it's really important for us to get out of the cities to tell regional stories as well. That's a really mm. important part of our show. And and we're allowed to do that. You know, we are allowed under the rules to go out and get the stories. But the way they go and get the stories is completely different to, you know, setting up microphones and stepping away from the microphones, putting them on a stand and then getting um, the people they're interviewing to approach the microphone from a distance. You know, the zoom lens on the cameras have hmm. been used so much. So it's an entirely different way of doing things. But I, I know what you mean about the, the media copping it a bit because people have been tuning into those one o'clock um, news conferences and they're not used to hearing the way the questioning goes at the end of it. And I think some of them have been surprised and possibly not understanding the process either. You know, this whole thing about, oh, why are you asking the same question again? And I know that those conversations go on with our family as well, because we all sit down and, and one of our um, members of our family said, oh, but they asked that question yesterday. And I said, yeah, but they've got to run a story tonight and they need to get a fresh comment to run with a story tonight. They can't run the comment from yesterday, even though it relates to the same angle. Yeah, these little the mechanics of journalism, yeah. I think, have rattled a few people. Um, now, this next question, I might have to ask it several times just because you, you might find it obnoxious. So I'll just, have to, I'll just have to keep on asking it until you answer it for, to the satisfaction of, of, of our <laughs> Jeez, podcast producer. <laughs> so look, like it or not, you're kind of the mother of the nation these days. You're allowed to rebut the premise of the question if you wish. Um, has, that, has that felt like a bit of a responsibility, keeping everyone sane and cheerful through the lockdown? And I do actually mean the second half of that question seriously. So you, you know. Okay. Well, I'll rebut the premise um, that I'm mother of the nation because I'm certainly not. But I did go into this lockdown thinking, you know, what can I do to keep people's spirits up? And so I... I 
it has kind of happened organically in in terms of formal Friday and the stupid cooking demonstrations and you know setting up the camping equipment in the backyard. But I I genuinely thought, look, I've got a lot of followers. We're all feeling down. I'm feeling down. Can I cheer myself up and other people at the same time? And look, if I can make a couple of people smile or chuckle, then that's a success. And you took that responsibility very, very seriously. And you even <laughs> revealed a secret hidden talent. <laughs> Which I'm not going to repeat on this podcast. What? That was a once no, only. No, this, no, that was in the deal. That was in the deal. <laughs> I didn't read the fine print. <laughs> the, so for, for anyone who hasn't heard it, you should try and find Hillary's dolphin call. I think under the fair use rules, we're allowed to track down the dolphin call and play it in the podcast regardless. So, I mean, you know, not wanting to put you over a barrel or anything, but, you know, the story's going to run one way or another. Mm. Did you just give the we can do this the easy way or the hard way speech, oh, Adam? Damn, that's, that's what terrible. I mean to say. We can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way. <laughs> I love it how you're doing good cop, bad cop. It's delightful. <laughs> and because Eugene knows me better than Adam, you know, he's got to be good cop. I've got to be good cop because I'm scared of you. So, yeah. It's one of two hidden talents I have. Oh, so I, I can I can do a dolphin call, and this is something that I've, you know, I I do generally after a couple of glasses of Chardonnay sometimes. But I can also gargle the Star Trek thing. Oh, and I know, and again, it's not going to happen on this podcast. But if by popular demand in level three, people want me to gargle the Star Trek thing, that that is something I'm prepared to do. Okay. Well, the popular demand starts here. I demand it popularly. Um, <laughs> and uh, we might have to do a very brief follow-up interview after that just to check that your throat's okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just generally, how, how do you think we've handled this all as a nation? It's been weird, right? It's That's a great description for it. It has. It's been very weird. We could never have imagined in January that this would be the way that we were living right now. I think we've handled it incredibly well, but I don't I don't want to sound negative. You know, I'm the queen of positivity, but I get a sense that people are not going to handle it for much longer. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I put myself a little bit in that camp too. I'm ready for the the alert levels to start coming down. I'm I'm ready to see other people. I think for most people, it's starting to really, really hurt. Yeah, it's like fatigue is setting in, isn't it? And we want to see our mums and people like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. And, uh, you know, I think we've done the job right. I think it's been incredible the way the country's come together and been unified over this in a way that you haven't seen necessarily overseas. But given that we've been so good, I feel like we all feel that we should be rewarded for our good behaviour in the steps that are taken now. True. But also, nail it. Let's get rid of this thing once and for all. Totally. The last thing is we want to come back and deliver oh, for or anything. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, Adamus, what are you... <laughs> is he still going through my Twitter feed? No. <laughs> no. Not just let it go. No, I just thought that we'd ended up in a place that was something of a downer. So I was going to just ask, now we're in level three and moving towards level two, what's the future of Formal Friday? Well, there is a one-off Formal Friday coming on May the 8th. This was suggested by Jackie, who runs the aunties. Have you heard of the aunties? Yeah, they're wonderful. But tell us about them for people who, who haven't. So what is going to happen for Formal Friday this one last time, May the 8th, is going to be a fundraiser. It's Jackie's birthday on May the 8th, and she has asked that we all give Formal Friday one last tilt. 
get dressed up and make a donation to the aunties. So you know what? When Jackie asks you to do something like that, you bloody well make sure you do it. So lads, this Friday, come on, stick a suit on, stick a tie on. You know you want to. Come on. We will make an effort. We promise. Is that a promise? That is a promise. promise? It's a promise. Don't make me hunt you down. We'll swap you for a gargled Star Trek theme. Okay. Do you want me? You hang on the line and I'll just go get some water. We're hanging on. We're hanging on. (laughs) Oh, God. This is the stuff of which scoops are made, you know? Can I call you back? Just while I get the water in? Yeah, sure. sure. You keep recording. I'll be two seconds. Hang on. All right. (laughs) Um. Okay. Hang on, I'll do that again. I've got too much. I've got too much water. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. got to be careful doing that because I tell you what you can you can choke very easily you're right Hillary no we're not all right that is just <laughs> that, no oh. I think we found a new theme tune for the show though I think we have yeah I think we have I can't believe that's been a hidden talent either I can't believe you've kept that hidden from the nation for so long well, there you go. It's a scoop for you. I, I mean, I know you guys have had big scoops in your life, but how does this feel? It's number one. Absolutely. <laughs> it's an extraordinary feeling. It's just amazing. Thank you so much. You're such a delight. And now you've locked us into having to get our suits on for um, Friday. This Friday, 8th of May, one last formal Friday. Thank you. Even more so this time with that Star Trek theme. Thank you so much, Hilary Barry. Lovely to talk to you. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Tuesday, the 5th of May. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Hilary Barry, Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crutzen and Carol Hirschfeld. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You can find us on all the podcast apps and at the Stuff website. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email viruspod at stuff.co.nz. Also, you can directly support Stuff's journalism. The company's recently set up a system where you can make financial contributions via a link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. Sloan Liet. Sloan Liet.